Hello, everyone. This is Bruce and Mertzog with my very special co-host, John Gillian. We have a very talented young filmmaker. His name is Jared Masters. Jared, how are you? I'm doing okay-ish, you know. I'm, uh, I'm fine. How are you both? I'm doing great. Johnny? I'm fine. Johnny, um, you um, brought Slink to my attention first, um, and then I went and purchased it. And uh, But John, uh, Jared has a few other films I think you probably want to talk about first, correct? Certainly correct. Later. Jared, uh, can we start with The Umbrella 2010? Yeah, that was the film I did. It's about 25 minutes long, my first short, my first kind of... Um, proper short you know I did a bunch of little silly movies growing up but that was one where I was more into acting and so I was in it and it's a cute movie because it's about this umbrella that someone buys and then they lose it in New York City and it goes through a series of like 12 or 13 or maybe more people and it goes so we kind of follow the umbrella along to different characters and um, you know it's a cute little movie but and it kind of made me realize it kind of like started my career in a way and um right after that i moved to venice beach california and um started and did my first feature which was climate tarzan now it's going next. to let's go into climate tarzan then yes and that movie i was really kind of i was introduced to doris wishman and I watched this movie in 2009 called Nude on the Moon, and it totally changed my life. I, I Everyone should see it. It's about a guy who goes to the moon, and it's covered with... It's a nudist colony on the moon. And it's shot in Technicolor in 1962. And I kind of... It just made me realize that low-budget films could be a good, um, you know, route for me. And because, you know, up until then, I... I was, I was writing scripts and I was thinking, you know, major budgets, which most people do, and they want to sell it to, you know, a major studio. Um, but I realized you could have an entertaining film that was low budget. So, at least that I thought so. A lot of people, you know, won't watch low budget films. They think they're like <laughs> above them or something. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, you know, because like, it's all about like just a good story. Like, um, so, um, so I did Climate Tarzan, and uh, I was kind of... I got bit by the exploitation bug, if you will. I was watching a lot of Russ Meyer films, and um, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is a popular one. Yes. That That's a good one. So I like this... Yeah, and uh, so I... And then I thought, well, what if we just did all-female cast? I don't know what gave me that idea, but I guess I couldn't find many movies that had all-female cast. There's one called The Women. It was on 2008, and there's one in, like, the 40s or 30s. Uh, but surprisingly, you know, there's not... So, we still... I think we still live in, like, an era that men dominate and subconsciously love other men and want to be surrounded by men, you know? And in their movies, like, you look at Reservoir Dogs, everyone... I hear about that movie all the time, but you think about it, it's like... 12 guys, you know, sitting around a table, um, which is not bad, but if I was to make a movie, I would, you know, maybe put 12 girls in there as the, as the tough, but may, maybe I'm just crazy, you know, it wouldn't have been a popular <laughs> movie, but, but a lot, there's a lot of bro movies, um, and it's just, it's just weird to me that, um, and I guess the filmmaker just puts his, likes to put his buddies in or whatever, but I thought it, you know, and now it's the, 
I got distribution with a company in New Jersey, Pop Cinema, that my production designer introduced to me, Adam Trash, and he he helped me with that movie too. And there's one kind of modern uh, distribution company, Alternative Cinema, or they go by Pop Cinema, and they like vintage erotica types stuff, and it's 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 kind of like a nudie cutie movie. Uh, very tame, very you know fun loving, um, and it's in Technicolor, and they they bought it from me, and it's out on DVD and like Barnes and Nobles and Best Buy and uh, all over Kmart, and then a real sewage I did after that, and um, it was kind of on the heels. So I've done three sixties movies. It's kind of strange, but I I really like the mod sixties style, and. Um, that's why The Conjuring I like because it was done kind of late 60s and uh, I like the, the the look of that old things you know cool can I ask um, how you got your start in filmmaking yeah I just um, <coughs> I just kind of decided that acting wasn't fulfilling enough because I I joined the Screen Actors Guild in 07 and moved to New York and I was you know on the hustle trying to being all you know trying to act and stuff I did a lot of background work and got upgraded occasionally um, but on set I would stand in for people and I would just kind of watch the other directors and I realized this seems like it might come naturally to me like directing because um, they're just like I, I understood what they were doing they were getting all the different sizes they were trying to make the producers happy that seemed to be like the main part because they'd always be like one for the producers anyone the producers want another take and um and i kind of like under started to understand that there's like politics to a film and a lot of people don't really understand this but it's like it's like anything else you know you have to like compromise with everyone and you're going to get other people yelling at everyone's trying to direct the movie um and um, so I kind of that's when I did The Umbrella my first short and just to kind of test out how I like directing and stuff and um, it just seems to come kind of naturally to me I don't know if I'm good at it but it just it's just kind of like alright let's get it let's get it done and you know I, I kind of take the Ed Wood approach where I just um, plow through it you know <laughs> <laughs> And uh, hope and hope for the best. So, because I, I'll, it's just like when these people spend so much time on it, it's still empty. Like if you start with something that's not funny or not scary or not entertaining, and you know you shoot it with the best camera you can find, it's not going to make a difference. You're right. No one's going to like it. So, I'm just I just kind of take a different approach with my films, but. But to you know, that's kind of how I got into it. I mean, my dad's a magician in New York, and he was in a couple soap operas in the '80s. So he he had a theater background and stuff, an acting background. And so I was I was always intrigued by the prestige of you know cinema arts. And I also, when I was 14, I was a skateboarder and I produced a lot of skateboarding movies. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and sold them around school and so on VHS, and that's when I learned how to edit with using two VHS players, VCRs, I mean, VCRs. And um, it, it was really a great, 
you know, analog way to edit. You know, I'm getting sick of staring at the computer screen. It'd be nice to have like two tape decks and uh, or something like I used to. With but uh, and there's some of those can be found on YouTube and stuff, and uh, it's pretty interesting because I didn't realize then that I was a, a, a budding filmmaker. You know, I thought it was all about the skateboarding, but really I was more interested in the videos that I was right. making. But I thought I wanted to be a professional skateboarder. Uh, so it's funny how life has a way of maybe, you know, uh, you don't realize what you're doing, but you're doing it. And um, so just kind of, over, you know, over the years, I, I guess I, just, I, I guess I'm a voyeur, too. You know, like I used to spy on my neighbor uh, getting undressed and stuff when I was really young. <laughs> and maybe that has something to do with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so if um, if we move on to eight reels of sewage, yeah, eight reels of sewage. I think it's a it's my one film that I that I do call a masterpiece. Um, I think everyone should see it. Everyone should own a copy. It's the one, f- <laughs> and I shot it for like less than a thousand bucks. Like it's like my cheapest movie. I I spent eight months shooting it, but I had everyone for free. Because I was broke at the time, you know, I just, you know, I didn't, and now, you know, I, I try to pay everyone a little bit, but, and I ha- have bigger budgets, like Slink was, you know, 20 or 30,000, uh, and then there was a lot of lab fees with Slink, but we'll get to that in a minute, um, like for closed captioning and stuff, but Eight Rose of Sewage, we're, we're doing a screening next, uh, in a couple weeks at the storefront theater, and um, we're, I'm going to do a Q&A afterwards. And it's just such a fun movie. There's like 50 people in it, and um, it's about this woman who wants to become an adult filmmaker. She's like an adult film editor, and she's sick of her bo- sleazy boss slapping her around and um, giving her grief and all this. So she decides that she can make a movie herself. So she gets a 16 millimeter camera and produces her own little nudie cutie called Kittens in Heat. And then the rival, Art Roberts, who's also in Slink. Does a great mm-hmm. point. I met him on Eight Reels of Sewage, and he plays the the mogul who's making his own um, adult, you know, uh, films for the Pussycat Theater. And he's got a movie called Sex Pet, and they're they're kind of like uh, challenging each other, and then they end up kind of trying to work together. It's just a very like, I think it's a great story. It's like what my it's a it's a nice well rounded adventure, fun movie, and I can walk watch it over and over again and enjoy it every time so I, that's to me uh, what, what makes the movie good when you can see it many times right and uh, Slink I can't really I don't really want to watch it right now because I've seen it so much and it's it's painful to like live some of it like because I, I relate it to the experience you know the, the struggle on set and that's what you know when I watch these major motion pictures I get anxiety now because all I'm thinking is they must have spent a million dollars on that one second, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 it's funny, but it causes me, it like overwhelms me, like, and it shouldn't. So I like watching low budget movies because I'm thinking, um, you know, that's what I do, I guess. And I can relate more, but, you know, I've worked on these major motion pictures and they're just, it's just ridiculous like they're all there to just gossip about each other and um, they shoot like two pages a day and it's so slow so painfully boring 
And I think the movie making experience should be fun and lively and fast paced. Right. <laughs> um, You're right. <laughs> but no one else seems to think like that, so it's it's tough. But yeah, A Rose of Sewage, I'll send you both a copy if you give me your addresses because it's it's really I'd love for you both to review it. You know, no one no one's buying it, no one's seen it. But you know, I sell Slink DVDs and stuff, but I don't sell Eight Reels of Sewage DVDs, and it's just funny because people don't know what it is, you know. Right. People people might see Slink because they go, "Oh, it's horror," you know. So it's so much easier to uh, make horror movies and expecting to get a little notoriety, you know. Yeah. But um, but you know, so hopefully it'll do something. But um. But yeah, that's how I met Art Roberts, and uh, since then I put him in every one of my movies because I think he's the best actor I've ever met. He's amazing, he really is. <laughs> now here, here's a film that um, I think I want to see. This it's a comedy music, um, Hollywood a Go Go. Yeah, that's another very strange. Uh, it's so crazy because I, you know, you think you have like brilliant ideas throughout throughout your career, and then. Some take off, some don't. And Hollywood A Go-Go, it's an amazing movie because it's one non-stop, action-packed hour of just Go-Go girls dancing <laughs> while they're in voiceover talking about their careers. And um, basically, it's the ultimate Go-Go movie if there ever was one. Because... <laughs> it's all like it's kind of a mockumentary like they're not really go-go a couple of them were, were real go-go girls but I just got a bunch of actors and it's also compiled with the footage that didn't make it into Climate Tarzan and 8 Reels of Sewage because I had go-go scenes in both of those movies oh wow so I guess I have like an obsession or I had an obsession with go-go girls for a minute there and I built a stage and, you know, um, and Adam Trash narrates the whole movie it's a, it's just a wild ride, and I played it at a bar at the, this bar. Um, it's actually in the hotel that I live in, and um, uh, it's like this popular Hollywood bar. When Stefani goes, I, I put the uh, the movie on. The manager, I said, I'll invite all the girls. You know, we'll play this movie, and everyone was so mad at it, like because they didn't under like because it's you know half naked beautiful women and like, people are threatened by half naked beautiful women and um, it's that's one thing that's always boggled my mind like while people aren't offended by like blasphemy people aren't offended by like potty jokes or like some guy could be like you know pooping into camera people think it's funny right. but you know I try to photograph women and uh, people think it's like the worst thing like that I'm um you know, showing them off, but they want to be showed off, you know? Right. While they're this, uh, these few years of their peak, you know? Right. So, it, so Hollywood A Go-Go, you know, it's another one of these rare movies that, um, and I got a bunch of great uh, DJs from the UK to uh, score it. And, um, yeah, if you want a copy of that too, I'll send it because what, what it was is you put it on in the background at a party and it sets the mood. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to do, you know? Right. Because I remember having parties in high school, and there was nothing you could really put on that kind of set the mood. And, uh, you know, if I had Hollywood a go-go, it would have been perfect. So I made it, you know? And, yeah, I'm going to try try to sell it. It really should be like an $80 DVD, and I should just sell it to clubs 
around around the country to play out to project in their clubs. That's cool. Good idea. Yeah. And then they won't have to hire go go girls, which they which are too cheap to do anyway. Like every club should have a go go girl yeah. dancing on a bar or something. <laughs> just just something to look at. But you know they're like fifty bucks a night, so people are too cheap to pay them. So you you should put on my movie, and uh, and then you get like fifty girls. There you dancing, go. Yeah. You know, and comedy. There's comedy in it. You know, and it's psychedelic too. It's a trip. Ooh. So. Yeah, Hollywood of Go-Go, another one of my films that no one really uh, knows about, you know? Well, who knows, in the future, maybe. <laughs> future, I think it'll take off, but it's just funny because it wasn't until I made Slink that people started to give a damn, you know? Well, see, that, that's the thing. Um, we're going to go into Slink, too, next, but that's the thing. Um, it, takes a, it takes one film for Jared Masters and then all of a sudden people start doing their homework oh Jared did this Jared did that so who knows yeah. five oh. ten years from now I mean they're going if they like something from Jared Masters they're going to do their homework and start searching other projects from Jared Masters so you're right yeah. it could be five three ten years from now who knows yeah the diehard fans will, will get my obscure films and, and, lo- and love them right 2013 and a film that everyone should give a chance to sit down and watch it there's got to be Slink <laughs> yeah it was it was originally called Stitch but that was taken so we I, I called it Slink because I, when I was researching leather I found out that uh, you know leather made from unborn calves is a commodity and uh, I guess it makes a soft leather and it's called Slink so I was trying to make it so like their cover up was that they were slink bags, but really they were, you know, they're, uh, they're humans. But so my idea for the sequel was to make, I was going to call it slink Two leather babies. And the, and the, but this, my idea, my concept was too, too much for people. And it was going to be that Art Roberts or his retarded son. Well, I guess the retarded son died in the first one, but, uh, impregnate the women they capture, wait till they're eight months pregnant, pull the babies from the womb, and make leather out of the unborn baby. But mm. it's too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's too much. But I, I see when I think of like horror, I, I try to think of like, well, what's like the most disturbing thing? But that's not what people necessarily want. They want like suspense and or stuff. shock value but not too much shock, shock. value yeah. so with teacher's day i try to give more shock value it's more of a slasher but we'll get to that in a second but um but yeah slink you know i i didn't really know what i was doing because at the time when i wrote it i wasn't the biggest horror buff i was kind of writing what i thought a horror fan would like is that strange i mean no no actually no it's smart i mean no no because what you said there, I mean, you're not a, you know, you weren't too much up on the horror, like you said. Right. But if you can think of a mind of a horror fan that has not been seen, then that makes sense. Yeah, and I am now. It's funny because that introduced me to the world. I do like horror now, but at the time I was just kind of trying to, you know, I was trying to sell it, right. script and stuff. But um, so the film, the script just got shelved. And um, I actually wrote that before Climate Tarzan, before Eight Reels of Sewage. Um, you know, I wrote it actually around the time when I shot Umbrella. Um, 
and uh, everyone seemed to want to be involved in the movie. I mean, everyone seemed to like it, like the set, like it sounded like a successful, you know, idea or something. Um, so people were starting to want to be producers, and everyone was chipping in and, and stuff. And um, so I had more money than ever to make that movie. And um, and you know, it's it was really hard, you know, to even afford it because it. I mean, it's so many things start adding up and. Um, like building the sets and everything, you know that people don't take into account. Um, I mean that the the scene in the stable took about three weeks of every day in the hot summer of us going back and forth to the uh, hardware store, and we we that table that she lays on we built from scratch, and you know probably cost about five hundred bucks just to build the table, and uh, you know and then I think now I could have just got an old kitchen table and just thrown it in there, but uh, but the construction people I had were so excited about building things, you know, you just let them let them do it, you know, right. so they have something to show off, and um, and they did a great job and everything. And then the bodies, you know, uh, you don't really see it in the movie, but there's like kind of like a freezer type thing, and there's like supposed to be a bunch of bodies, um, not the nude ones that you see, but there's like bodies in black bags when uh, Kayla's like hiding from the retarded killer. Um, we you know we we spent weeks saying, oh, how are we gonna get these all these bodies? Like they're like, it's like a thousand bucks for like five of them if you order them from like these um, costume shops or these. Ho- you know, the cheapest you can get a body in a bag is about like fifty bucks a body, uh, and I wanted you know a lot of them. So we just call. We went we went down to Chinatown, and um, you know this is bringing up crazy memories because we went to Chinatown and we're trying to buy foam to make these bodies to wrap in black plastic and then we realized the foam is like 12 it's expensive yeah. uh, like couch foam um, so we ended up just like filling these bodies with whatever we could find and then we, we we needed to get a bunch of leather for the curing room scene where she's like going past all these slices of skin and uh, that's one of my favorite gra- like visual scenes uh, um, and we realized leather is expensive, so I got a, we got a bunch of vinyl, and then um, you know we, we went around Hollywood and we found leather couches that people were throwing out and cut with the box cutters all the leather off these couches. <laughs> 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 and you know it, my production designer is saying like don't don't admit that you know to anyone and so but I'm admitting it now because. It just shows you what you have to do when you're faced with um, issues. You know, I could spend $500 on new leather, or I could, you know, it's a perfect tan leather couch. It looks like human skin. That's brilliant. So we just, we just douse them in blood, you know. And then you douse, we make our own blood, so all the ants and the flies come. <laughs> and uh, so it's like, thing, it's like hot summer day. So by the next day, all everything's black. From ants, millions, billions of ants, and because um, there's sugar in the corn syrup that we right. use for the. So there's just so many obstacles and things that um, that people don't know you have to go through, and if they knew what you went through, they might uh, um, appreciate things a little more, you know. Because uh, I mean, it's so painful, like making these movies, but then. I, I do it anyway because I love it, you know? Right. Um, it's all learning experience, you know? Yeah. And so 
you you learn what not to do, you know, especially. Right. <laughs> like um like I'm I'm kind of an opportunist. I I think of okay, what locations do I have available to me and I'll write the story around that. That's what I do now. Instead of just writing a script and then having to find twenty locations, it's it's too difficult. And then everyone wants um you know, you might have to get permits or uh you get these homeowners and these you know people breathing down your neck when you're shooting and um and you know i i shoot a lot of like crazy stuff and so i like to do it at like a friend's studio like um i have a good friend sunny who has a nice studio in hollywood big green screen and stuff and he's a producer so i can shoot there and uh, um or, or i'll just i mean <sighs> What I've learned, if I've learned one thing from this whole experience, is, is that a lot of things are done in vain. Like when you're making a movie, like people want affirmation just to like feel like they're. So you gotta like give them the affirmation, you know, that their that their thought counts and stuff. But um, like for example, on Slink, someone's idea was there's like a team of like production designer or like art directors, like you know, and um. One of he had a lot of great ideas, but one of his ideas was to make a fake hay mound, <laughs> like for her to fall onto when she comes out of the window. And it's just funny because he wanted to like build this contraption out of cardboard and wood that would collapse when she fell on it, and then glue the hay to the top of it. And um, and I said, you know, we talked about it for hours, and I, and I said, well, why don't we just have like a real hay mound? Um, you know, is that is that just too easy? Like. And and he wanted to build this fake one, and uh, we ended up using just a pile of hay, and that's and so there's no reason. And some things are just so, um, but people want to do work just so they can say I built that, you know. And uh, and an- another example is like, uh, you know, on on Teacher's Day, very strange. I like wanted this girl to be sipping tea, and so uh, the art assistant like taped a tea bag to the side of her cup and then cut the tea bag part off so you could just see like the string hanging over the other end and I, I never asked her but I always wondered like what's the harm in just having like a real cup of tea um, <laughs> <laughs> you know but she, wa- she wanted to have it fake you know um, just just so, I guess so they can feel like they um, are doing something creative but uh, you know so there's a lot of backwards things that are done in vain I think and you know so uh, but Slink you know there's a lot of things I'd do differently now if I was to you know remake it or so I would never remake it but um, like uh, what's weird I've never said this before but we (laughs) and uh, you know I might as well just uh, say it now but it's kind of we kind of invented our own genre on that movie, and you want to know what it is? It's oh, sure. Mexploitation. <laughs> <laughs> because it's about a Spanish family, and you know, I thought it'd be a hit in Mexico, um, and it, it's really hard to find. Like, it was really hard to like create. But I made. But when I met, it was supposed to be a Caucasian family. And it was supposed to be a brother instead of um, 
you know. And I had it, it was a one of the biggest wrenches thrown in that movie. A lot of people don't know this, but um, I don't know if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, but uh, the kid who plays Pedro, have you seen it? Yeah, yes, yeah. There's the Pedro guy, great actor. Well, he has an identical twin brother who's also an actor. And he was supposed to have a big part in the movie. And um, and he has the commercial appeal because he looks just like Pedro and everyone thinks it is and stuff. Really nice guy and everything, but for whatever reason, the producers uh, made me um, replace him. Wow. And, uh, yeah, because, uh, just because, um, you know, things happen. But, um, but, uh, but, it was supposed to be a Caucasian family originally, and when I met Danica, you know, fell in love instantly, and um, really just thought she was a, a true example of um, talent and beauty and grace, and really easy to work with and everything. And so I, I changed everything to to look like her, like right. I, because I, you know, I can't have her with like a Caucasian father and brother, and you know, so I found a Spanish, and I just told her that at the premiere, and she's like, "Really, you did all that like for me?" And but I knew I'd found the perfect girl for the movie, so it was easier and made more sense in my mind. I'll just make the father Spanish. This the it ended up being a sister in the movie Spanish. Um, so I do what I call scene morphing, where. I just I morph things and other people can't handle it but you know uh like like for instance if there's a scene that's like there's like this whole mortuary scene that was supposed to be done in a diner and it was supposed to be a creepy waiter and waitress and and they give clues but I couldn't get a diner I liked in such short amount of time so I just said well let's just make it a mortuary instead it'll be creepy mortuary morticians so I do stuff like that all the time where, you know, the, the story is still there in the scene, but you just switch up the circumstances. Right. And That's smart. Thank you. And I don't know anyone else who does stuff like this. It's improvising. That's what it is. Right. I just, you know, no no one is going to say, that should have been a diner, you know, when... when <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it works yeah. better with where it was shot at, though, too. Yeah, and I I just added a line in the script that she needs to go to pick up her uncle's ashes, and you know it worked fine, and it was easier. And we just shot that right in the house there. I put up a curtain, <laughs> and he bought a box of Kleenex, and that's the whole scene, you know. <laughs> right. So yeah, Slink was a, a very interesting experience. I mean, lots, you know, uh, it's just very, um, very. I worked so hard to like make that movie and I guess it you know paid off but I'm worried to I mean it doesn't seem like a big production but it it, it, it was a lot you know right. for me and I was wearing so many hats you know I was my own AD and everything and I scheduled everything and um, broke down the script and had to cater to everyone's needs so um, I'd love to you know but it's it's just like if you want something done, you gotta do it yourself, and it's really hard to hire assistants, and because they're not thinking what you think, and by the time you get them to understand what you're trying to do, you could have just done it yourself. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think Slink Two would be kind of uh, 
interesting, and I thought maybe it could be a prequel because then I could have Donna back because Donna was really great. And, and it's funny, the critics love Donna Lee Heising a lot. Like, they praised her performance. And, um, you know, she plays Joan, the, yeah. the owner. And, uh, he, like, and that was supposed to be Raquel Welsh's part. Um, but she did a great job, and she's, um, you know, we've, ha now we have a great friendship and stuff, and, um, I killed her in the movie, and so if I did a sequel, she, unless I did flashback stuff, you know, I, so I'm thinking about doing a prequel, like how, how this all started. You know, I mean, how, that's a good idea. Why, yeah, how, and maybe, you know, he went to dermatology school or something and learned about skin or something, but, um, but, and I was also hoping that it would make girls be afraid to tan, to go to the tanning salon. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, you know, like just like Psycho made girls afraid to shower. Well, one, <laughs> thing, I, one thing I will say um, about Slink. Now, I understand that the scenes where you were taking the skin. Now, I understand, you heard me say this before, it's a lack of budget, okay? Yeah. But, but... Here's also what I said. It was perfectly done the way you did it. You, I understand, Jared, that you wanted... I'm sure you wanted to show more of... Maybe not. Yeah. That you wanted to show more of the gruesome skin being taken off. But when it was done that way, it's perfectly fine to me because I don't need the full gore effect to get the idea of what's going on. So, you know... Uh, I'm just telling you now, and I said it in my review, and I said to other people, the way it was done is perfectly fine. I mean, it's one thing if you had $50,000 budget and then you pulled that way, then I can see why maybe, okay, you know, that might have been kind of a little low at it. But right. considering the budget that you had, it's perfectly fine. And if anybody has a problem with it, I will vocally say it right now, fuck yous, and you make a film. End of yeah, story. Yeah, uh, it, it, I mean these people. I guess some people crave the gore, and you know, I I like you know, <laughs> I think it was Lovecraft that said uh, you know if you don't need to see it then you know don't show it or something or like because the imagination is more powerful and you know that's why a lot of like alien movies once you see the alien you're not afraid anymore but you're afraid up until that point. Right. Um. So, but it makes it yeah, more creepy. It makes yeah. it more creepy by not showing everything. Right, I mean, right. the story is basically based on the characters, not so much of what they do. And I, and I think that, that, that's where you pulled it off at, is the characters. Yeah, it's kind of like a drama and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a drama going on. Um, and and thank you, because I, I like... I think I'm good with characters, you know, or I'm... I'm that's maybe one of my strong points. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like a dialogue writer. But it's harder for me to write action sequences and things where, like, you know, you have to be really, like, creative with um, and play the field and do cinematic storytelling. You know, that's, you know, that's kind of my weakness. I'd probably be a better play director, honestly. Well, one thing about doing play. One thing I will say, um, this is the first film that I've seen Donnelly Heising in. So that's very I first know, one. I know, like, a hundred credits. She's got all these credits, and I feel like it's like the classic case where you know you do you do work for people, and then they just never finish their project and stuff. And yeah. she's been in a, in a lot of stuff, yeah. and done a lot of uh, 
and she's got a lot of upcoming stuff, but she needs to be, uh, you know, put on a, up on a pedestal because I, you know, I think she's beautiful. I she mean, is. She's an exotic, magnificent, you know, creature. She's outgoing, outgoing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, and she's yeah. the sweetest lady you could ever meet. Yeah, we've had plenty yeah. of talks on the phone. But doesn't have a bad word against anybody. Nope. You know? And um, and people, you know, and so she she wants me to write a like a um, secret agent movie, and she's going to star, and she said she'll produce it if I write it for her. So I might. I might um, get a bottle of tequila, sit in the bath, and write this out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she's awesome. She really is. I mean, I've, I've known her for like three, almost three and a half years, and we've talked on the phone, and she's a sweetheart. She really is. Yeah. Yeah, and I met her husband, and he's really cool, too, Paul. He came to the premiere. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, lucky guy. And, um, but, uh, you know, and, and she's doing all this modeling and everything and you know sw- these swimsuit calendars and I was really lucky to get her she thinks I'm I'm doing her a favor like you know the critics loved her and um and she she's in uh, Teacher's Day too she's going to be in my next movie and so so I it's fun because I meet people and then some people you never hear from again that you never work with again and then some you, you want it in every movie and uh so it's kind of like it's like building a family, you know, of good people. It'd be cool to work with her. I think it would be. Yeah, and she's a pole dancer too. And, uh, <laughs> she, so she's she's really something else, you know. And um, and I've seen some of her pole, pole dancing footage and everything. And um, yeah, and you know, it was so hot in that room when we shot, and she was such a trooper because. You know, uh, all her makeup was just pouring off, and you know, um, I made her wear this fur coat in one scene because she forgot her right outfit. So I'm like, oh, we're gonna have to throw a fur coat over you, so it looks like you threw a coat over your outfit that you don't have on, you know? Right. Um, so it's it like a hundred degrees in this little garage, you know, that we made turn into an office, and. Um, I called it the Frolic Soundstage, but it was really just a five-car garage. But um, <laughs> uh, she's wonderful, and she was great with Art Roberts, and um, and she. It's just so nice when you meet these actors, and they're uh, they're easy to work with, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and they don't try to. I really don't like it when it's cute and all when people try to like act. You know, when people come to me and say, "Well, what's my backstory?" Like, what's you know, they're trying to like fulfill the purpose more. more. Right. And uh, it's cute and all, but it goes too far when they when they really when people tell me I, I should have a boyfriend, like call me and break up with me, so people under, like and they want to have like a boyfriend, a lover, like they want to add things to like make their character go deeper and stuff. And you know, I don't think every character needs like an explanation. You just, you know, as, he's an eccentric character. You know, just um, yep. uh, so. And people want to change things. Like, uh, in one of the mortician guys was supposed to be gay, and I thought it'd be good if he was gay, but he didn't want to be gay. You know, so I said, okay, you know, you don't have to be gay, but it's like I think a, I think actors should be willing to kind of 
you know, who cares if you don't want to be gay in real life? I mean, for the part, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, like, like I like when really attractive women do ugly roles. I think that's nice because, uh, and then maybe later on in the movie they um, take off what's ever making them ugly, and they're kind of like they they blossom, right? Uh, and uh, you know, Cameron Diaz was really ugly in being John Malkovich. And it kind of makes you respect the actor more. And a lot of these, I've worked with probably 300 actors, like, or about maybe 200, 250. And what I've noticed is they're all, most of them are concerned with looking cool. Like, they want to look cool in their scene, you know? Right. They want to talk fly. They want to act, you know, sly. They don't want to look foolish on camera. But sometimes the character is supposed to be foolish, you know? And it's not supposed to be, like, a hot, like, number. I mean, but it's their one shot, maybe their only film, and they want to look good for Daddy, you know? And uh, so it's nice when actors aren't afraid to be look ugly and pull out their... Like, Jim Carrey pulls out his, you know fake tooth for Dumb and Dumber. Right. You know? He's not saying, well, I don't want everyone to know that I have, like, a chipped tooth, you know? Who cares? So, yeah. So it's just, like, little things like that that you pick up on, and, and um, but I, I'm really happy that you guys like the picture, because, um, it was my first horror movie, and, um, I learned a lot from it, and I, and that's, you know, I think I, know a little bit more how to do horror and I re I'd really like to do more with like slasher type um, creative kills yes you know I like well, when kills are like creative yes because um, there's so many ways to die and I guess there's a show about that too I've never seen it but a broom um, handle in the mouth through the, to the back oh, right yeah, excellent so in teacher's day I, I've got some great I, I think they're genius well, go ahead and talk Wait. about it. Yeah, so Teacher's Day, um, basically, it's a slasher comedy, and it's inspired by Roger Corman's Slumber Party Massacre series. And I called Corman up, and I said, I talked to his assistant, I didn't get a hold of him, but I'm like, I'm making, I want to make Slumber Party Massacre 4. And, and they were shocked, and, um, because the last one was like 93, I think. But my script was about, it was the same premise, Slumber Party, Killer. And they said they were working on their own Slumber Party Massacre movie. And I, I don't know if they really are or not, but I think Corman just likes to always do his own stuff, you know. But, um, but it was inspired by that. And so it pretty much takes place in one house and at the school for a minute there. And it's, it's, I, I used to think you couldn't be cinematic in one location, but you can be. I mean, I used to think, like, oh, it's not cinematic if you just ha have one location uh, because you want to see the ocean, you want to see the mountains, you want to you see the city, you want to have, like, a visual feast and everything. But you can replace all that with pretty girls and, you know, a medium-sized house if you shoot in every room and, and you keep the characters colorful and you you do other things. You know, maybe I'm way off, but... Like, a lot of movies are coming out now, like The Conjuring, uh, You Are Next, I think, was shot all in one location. Um, the Purge, you know, all one location. And me, as a producer, likes this idea because 
it's less um you know if it work if the audience doesn't mind it it's less work i have to do you know shrugging everyone around in different parts of the city um and we all get familiar with the location and everything so teachers day uh, it was originally called teachers day massacre but then people were like well it's not a massacre unless they kill 10 people for the record there's really no definition of massacre um I think it can be like five or six or seven, maybe. Right. But is it twelve? I mean, what would you guys say? Twelve, ten. But um, I'm really excited about this movie. I think it, I think it might be my best yet. I think it's I I think it might be received better than Slink. But I could be wrong because I don't really show. The, well, I won't give too much away. But it's kind of more of a PG-13. It's not quite. It is uh, racy and stuff, um, but it's pretty. It's pretty scandalous. I mean, like the whole movie, it's like six girls in their underwear getting chased by this killer, and um, and getting plucked off one by one. Nice. And uh, it's like a good old fashioned slasher movie, and we really don't see those that much today. Um, so, and it's it's only like seventy three minutes long, and which I think is a good length. Yeah, like I don't like that are too long. I like just quickies, you know, kind of just like boom. And a lot of good slasher movies in the 80s and stuff are like 75 minutes, 73 minutes, but but then people are telling me, it has to be 90 minutes. So I shoot, like, Slink was like 70 pages or 75 pages, Teacher's Day, 70 pages. So I, And I get these people who give me scripts and they're like, you know, 120 pages. And I'm just like, you know, why shoot more if it's just going to cause you more pain and more, you know, I, I, I mean, I try to do the bare minimum. To be honest, you know, because it's already so hard to get that much good footage or decent footage. Um, unless it's an epic story and it just has to be told longer, but you know, you could make two movies if you're trying to make a two-hour movie. You know, just make uh, make each one seventy minutes or whatever, and you get two movies. So, so like I w- I always think like if someone gave me a million bucks to make a movie, I'd try to tell them let's make ten movies instead. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to spend a million dollars on that movie and have it be a flop, you know, I, which it's probably going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but yeah, Teacher's Day I'm excited about. But the one film uh, no one ever talks about either, and it's on my credits there, is uh, Big Hair, Long Lashes. I was going to ask you about that one. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that one. And this, this, this is where it gets really crazy, and it's probably going to be the film... Later on in my career, where where they 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 talk about you know this one really we know he, we we know he he lost it then because this was I wrote on my typewriter I just I did the whole thing on my typewriter just to see what it'd be like writing a script on a typewriter and uh, it wasn't too bad but there's so many typos in it and everything but it's another 60s movie and it's not horror and it's about seven call girls living in Hollywood and um, talking about, you know, to their sex therapist about all the johns they take home and everything. So it's kind of like a vintage, erotic art house film. It's really, really, I mean, it's going to be terribly, like, just painful for people to get through. But, because the whole thing takes place in one hotel room, and it's, and it's 70 minutes long, and it's just, girl, the whole thing's done in voiceover. I break every rule in the book. I there's like no the plots vary like vague but 
they're talking over the whole thing. So I photographed, it's like one giant kind of like peep loop. Like, uh, it's just girls in black lace lingerie doing their makeup at the vanity, um, riding, you know, walking around the hotel, taking bubble baths, talking on the phone. It's, it's, it's basically a fetish film, you know? Uh, and I kind of just did it because I le- I'm so in love with 60s um, vintage number. I mean, I really have a thing for, um, like, Go-Go and uh, Ma. Like, 1965, the club scene is, like, my dream. I'd love to go back and, uh, you know, party in the 60s because it's just very attractive to me. And today a lot of things are kind of tacky to me. And uh, um, But I really like, you know, like the Russ Meyer type of film so I said you know no one, no one's buying Tarzan no one's buying 8 Reels of Sewage I might as well just make one more and have it be and, and do everything that the critics hated in those movies do them 10 times so like in Climate Tarzan the critics said that I spoke on that I used telephones too much uh, um, like vintage telephones I like the rotary telephones yeah I yeah yeah things like with, so I I um I had a lot of the phones in this, but it's basically just going to be like a, a cult movie, you know. And and I used uh, my favorite girls from my other productions and stuff, and they're all. It was basically kind of like a photo shoot, but it's like a, uh, a video photo shoot, and it's going to have like interesting colors, and you know, it's definitely not for everyone. It's just for like people that you know like alternative cinema, and. Um, like to see something different because there's nothing no one else is doing this you know and um so i mean i don't even know what to think about this picture i don't they told me not to do it you know and so i did it like it's it's just completely insane (laughs) um you know girls with switchblades and stockings and um you know Guys, it's like a roughie. You know what roughies are? Mm-hmm. Like, after the nudie cuties went stale, they started doing roughies. So this was supposed to be a roughie, but you can't very well get a girl and ha- and make her understand that we're trying to make a stylistic roughie. Because, you know, if some guy comes in and pushes her around, she, like, thinks it's, like, you know, it's it's crazy or something. I mean, she doesn't understand I'm trying to make... It's like... It, they're kind of like horror films. Like, in the 60s, they were trying to, like, figure out what would entertain they didn't they didn't really know it was like exploitation films you know roughies are kind of like horror films and um you know i don't know if you've seen the sinful dwarf 1973 but man it's one of my favorite movies and it's just about this dwarf who captures women and sells them as sex slaves and um you gotta see it because uh it's the horror movie but you know i mean and hitchcock did horror movies, but by today's standards, you know, you wouldn't really. Kids might not think of them as horror movies because it's all about the suspense and stuff. But I really like Hitch, the Hitchcock style. So I tried to do Slink kind of like Hitchcock in a way where you know it's just more about because uh, Macrobi, you know, I mean, you guys probably know better than I do, but horror, you know, is a is an old type of genre, but it wasn't always like it is now. Right. <laughs> and uh, so you get these bad like soap opera type actors in these new movies like uh like evil dead i wasn't crazy about the actors in the movie because they just were too pretty and too like these pretty boys and stuff exactly. but 
<laughs> but I had pretty boys in Teacher's Day too, so I can't really knock them. But because I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out what like, you know, I want to make movies for girls, you know, but but I don't want to make movies just for guys, you know. Right, right. And so you gotta well, have like, you gotta have good looking guys too. But um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on with with these movies they make today. Like I can't relate. I I don't. I mean, they just blow so much money. They they're trying to like I don't know it's very weird but one thing I do want to tell you is that Teacher's Day was adapted to a novel and <laughs> it's I'm really excited about it because uh, the author Stephanie Campbell who lives in Utah at, you know wants to make Slink into a novel also and um, I think it'd be really good because she like adds all the backstory and makes the novel a lot much more like Longer and everything, right? And uh, she just finished the Teacher's Day adaptation. And usually, you know, it's a book first and then a movie. But I guess it's a thing now to have. And it's gonna be a nice novelty piece, and she's gonna sell it, and she thinks it's gonna be big. Uh, and she's on twelve other books, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but she's trying to sell it to young audiences, so she took out all like the uh, half naked girls and stuff, and didn't want that on the cover. And I was trying to reason whether like you know it's about a slumber party and stuff and it it's uh it's tough because i don't think nudity should be such a big deal with people um or you know or especially just girls in underwear like people are just so ashamed and embarrassed and I, I remember i used to be embarrassed too when i was like younger and i like, go to see a movie with your folks and someone's naked you're kind of like embarrassed about it <laughs> uh, yeah but uh y- you know but there's just so many terrible things happening in the world. Why is, um, you know, a little bit of skin such a bad thing? Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, like, because horror movies in the 80s, they always had some uh, naked girl in the shower or something. Yep. And it's not a big deal, you know? Because you want to have everything in your movie. You should touch base on, you know, a little bit of, Sexiness, a little bit of comedy, a little, you know, try to have a little bit of it all. And it's just so annoying when you get these R rated horror movies today that have no girls in them. <laughs> no, you know, they're just rated R for like blood and violence. It's like you got the R rating. Why didn't you step up the ante and just, in, and because I think people like to see like um, naked women getting killed or something or like. Oh, oh! Naked woman screaming, running with her, and then get her, she gets her throat slit open or something. In Teacher's Day, my favorite kill is um, the girl's curling iron in her hair, the hot curling iron, mm-hmm. and the killer comes in and burns her all over her body with it, mm. while he's pinning her down, and then jams it down her throat, and it got smoke coming out of her mouth and everything, like it burned her. Uh, That's cool. Like, she, yeah, she kind of deep throats this curling iron. It's and it's very kind of like symbolic and stuff too, like because it's kind of like a phallic-looking thing, and um, but it's a creative kill. And uh, there's no guns in the movie, you know. And um, you know, a lot of the movies it's just a killer with a gun and just shoots, it, blows everyone away, which can be done nicely, like Hobo with a shotgun. I liked, um, but um, you know, it's just. Uh, the creative kills are what's fun and we had an apple bobbing scene where the girl gets dunked in the apple she gets drowned so in the, while she's bobbing for apples the guy creeps up behind her and um, 
you know, sticks her in and holds her underwater. And then we got the camera underneath in the apple bobbing tank and everything. And um, it's just very, that's what makes making movies fun is when you can uh, come up with something creative and, uh, and, and lie to the people. Like, it's all about you're lying to the audience and hoping they buy it or at least laugh at it or something, you know? Right. Uh, you know, that's what movies are and that's what, like, acting is. It's like... All, you're trying to make the person forget or hopefully like when you forget that you're watching a movie then maybe it's a good movie or like when you start to believe in it when you start to get mad at the characters and yeah, I mean I don't know like I really don't know I, I really have no business making movies to be honest like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean other people act like they need permission or I managed to see it and when after I watched it I uh contacted gruesome and said look what did you think of this film i thought it was absolutely awesome i will honestly say that and immediately i took it upon myself to contact danica and i said to her um that i thought you was great would you come on our podcast and she'd come on our podcast on friday but on monday i thought i'm gonna send a message to donna and say that i thought that this film was absolutely great and it was honestly uh, one of my top six films that I've watched this year. I thought the cast were amazing. Art Roberts, Julia Faye West was brilliant, and obviously Dorna. So that was that was my experience of Slink. I just that's wanted so, you to know. So, thank you, John. But I, uh... th- th- this was well. This was all before I even knew that we was going to be talking to you. I mean, Dorna did message me. I think Monday and said that. Uh, I'm going to get uh, Jared Masters to come on and speak to you and gruesome but I just wanted to give you my feedback from my experience from watching the movie and me and gruesome and all of us have discussed many times that the people are always going to be down on low budget just because it's low budget and no other reason if they read I think gruesome has said this if they read low budget straight away they've got a preconception of what this movie is going to be and they'll sit down and they'll look at it as a low budget a low budget movie not just as a movie itself and I think that's where all that comes from do you agree with that gruesome at all? I totally agree we had that conversation with Jared yeah. earlier but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just go on record and say it on this show there's a lot of reviewers out there that have no idea. All they want to do is be Howard Stern, and right. and they wonder why they don't go nowhere and why people think they're jokes. Is when you go into a low budget, no budget film, you have to go into it open minded and realize, look, it is what it is. Take it for what it is. Understand what the hell you're watching and deal with it. And then that's my my medicine for this. And I love no budget films I love low budget films because it shows passion it shows love it shows real talent They're not pe- the actors are not afraid to do things to make the movie better and that's just my opinion on, the f- on, on no budget no budget films end yeah, of story completely completely yeah so that, so uh, yeah it's been great let's um, let's talk again soon and uh, it's probably getting late where you are John everything and um yeah. alright take care uh, yeah Alright, take care guys. Yeah, we'll take some. Yeah, thanks for your time. See you, buddy. Alright, have, have yeah. a good one. Bye bye.